Uh, love is putting others before yourself. Love is obedience to God's will, not your own. But love has its enemies. Its enemies are giants, giants of self-interest, the giants of fear. These things are things that we are commonly wrestling with, aren't we? Everybody could agree with that. That uh, everybody likes the idea of love until you've got to do the dishes. Is that fair to say? Everybody likes the idea of love until you've got to put others first and you don't get recognized for any of these things. And that's the nature of our fallen nature, and it means that we're all in the same boat. We're not peculiar, we're not different, it's just that our selfishness manifests in different ways for different people. And so we're always in this battle, and today in the context of what we're talking about, we're calling this the land of the giants. The land of the giants being who we are and the wrestling match that we face in respect to serving and serving others. Um, about 12 or 13 years ago, if my memory serves me right, I was on a family holiday, and we decided that we would go through some of the old areas that I used to go to as a kid when my parents, uh, my mum's family came from the king country. They farmed there, and she had some of her relations living in Taumaranui. And, and, um, <clears throat> and so I was taking the kids through the grand sites of Taumaranui, um, which meant you got out of second gear for about 30 seconds. And anyway, we came past the local swimming pool. And I said, I remember that swimming pool. I used to stay with Uncle Bill and Auntie Carol in the house across the road. And when we were young, we used to go and go into that swimming pool. And it's got this huge diving tower, this huge diving tower. And I talked about how my brother and I, particularly me, would go out on the end of the diving tower and we'd look and we'd go, oh, too much. And the local kids would be saying, get out of the way, jump or get out of the way. So we'd back off, you see, and we'd let them go. And we'd, and after about... Uh, day being in the pool, we finally summoned up courage to jump off the diving tower. And anyway, it was a hot day, real hot. And we said to the kids, do you want to go and have a swim? They said, sure. And so we went into the, 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 the pool there, and there was the diving tower, about two and a half meters high. <laughs> <coughs> and Michaela turned to me and said, is that the same one that you were talking about before? I said, no, nah, must have. I must have lied. It was so... Must have been dangerous. Osh would have said it's way too high. You've got you to lower it down. Anyway, in the car on the way back, uh, the kids were having me on. Dad, was that the tower that you were really scared of? And I had to finally admit, yeah, yeah, I was. But I was only nine months old. You know, I was, yeah, yeah. You know, I was doing a double flip and a full twist at the same time in my nappies, you know, so. But for me... <laughs> That, that, that tower was a, was a giant, you know. I'd lived on the mudflats of Tapuna, you know. You never jump higher than a flax bush. And so it was a giant for me. But for each one of us, we, we all have our own giants. And we've been looking at this story of Moses and the nation of Israel and how they've come out of Egypt and how they've got to a place now where they're starting to enter into the full promises of God. And that full promise of God not only was obedience to him, but it was also about learning uh, sorry, also about going to the land that had been promised, as we call it, the promised land, the land of milk and honey. And here in this story that we're going to look at this morning, it talks about a very, something that's probably quite familiar to us, and that is the, the, the spies who went out to suss out, to check out this land that had been promised to them by God. So let's read through the story together. It's sort of pieced together, actually, not the whole story. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan which I am giving to the Israelites. 
from each ancestral tribe send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and onto the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they have? What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do you do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land? It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Lebo Hamar. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, and the descendants of Anak come come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Amen. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Well, this is a classic story of a glass half full, isn't it? And I think there are different times in our lives for each one of us and given situations where we think the glass is half full or it's half empty. Is that fair to say? But what we've got here is 10 10 people, 10 leaders versus 2 leaders. 10 versus 2. And the 2 say the glass is half full and 10 say it's half empty. We could call the 10 people the O-wells. The O-wells. You you know these people. Well, we were going to do this And we thought again, and we went, oh well, maybe we shouldn't. Oh well, we'll do it another day. Oh well, it's a bit too hard. Oh well, someone else can do it. The oh wells. And we are the oh wells at different times, aren't we? Oh well, it doesn't really matter. Well, in this case, to God, it did matter. To God, it really mattered. And he had two men, Caleb and Joshua, who were cup half full guys. They remembered the stories of Israel. They remembered their own story and how they were being brought out of the desert and how the miracles of God had prepared the way, laid the path, and they could assume upon this help into the future. See what the story says here. It says that then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. Here was Caleb speaking a different story from the same evidence. This same evidence. And this is the nature of our humanity, isn't it? We can all look at something and go, 
oh, that'll never work. Or we can all look at something and say, that's amazing. We should continue on with this. We can make this happen. And let's have a look again at this report that said that the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread amongst the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. Let's just stop there. This was a bad report because it put a spin on it. It wasn't a bad report because they had evidence to back up what they were saying. They said straight away, the people there are stronger than us. Well, how do they know? They'd never entered into a battle. They hadn't had a wrestling competition. Okay, They hadn't had a strongest in the desert manhunt. They hadn't done any of these things. But what they'd done is projected their fears upon these people. And they just immediately assumed that they are stronger than us. This is a bad report because the bad report is interpreting the truth. Interpreting the truth in a negative way. That's what makes it a bad report. And so it goes on. It says, they said, the third line, the land we explored devours those living in it. Do you like those words? It gobbles people up, makes a meal out of them, spits out the bones. Now, again, they hadn't been anywhere near the people. They'd been spying the land. They hadn't interacted with them. And then I love it how it goes on to describe, this is where their imagination runs away with them. It says, we saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. The the Nephilim is in Genesis chapter 6. It talks there about these giant people who lived in the land. They were literally gigantic, if we take the Bible for what it says there. And a very, very tiny verse there, Genesis 6. But what it describes there is uh, a story within their culture, within their history, of people who are huge. What they have done is they have taken their imagination. Their imagination is now running wild. These people who devour them, who are stronger than them, are all of a sudden in their mind's eye, giants. How many of you have had that experience? When you can talk something up to the point where you believe your imagination uh, to the point where it actually overwhelms you. I've been, uh, I think in sport we can do this. I remember um, uh, playing in this rugby league game in London many years ago. I was playing for this amateur rugby league team. And we got into the final, the British Amateur Rugby League. And it was a, it was a great victory for us to get into the final. Anyway, we got word leading up to the final that this amateur team that we were going to play in the final was stacked full of professional players. Now, we would train twice a week, and we did our best, but there's no way we were professionals. I think we lost the game before we even got on the paddock because we had convinced ourselves that because these guys were getting paid 20 pound a week, they must be 20 times better than us. All right? And, uh, and we got a caning, to be quite honest. They were better than us. But we had convinced ourselves that we were going to get thrashed, and that prophecy came true. Uh, But this is the sort of thing where we can talk it up in a way that we just say, this is just too hard. It's the whole mind over matter thing. And I'm not just talking here about positive thinking. But if you sit at the bottom, stand at the bottom of a a big hill and you're going to walk up it with your backpack on, it's very easy to convince yourself that you're going to be exhausted, that you're not going to make it. And then you don't enjoy it. But if you convince yourself that this is something that you're more than capable of doing, the hard work just passes by. How many of you have been in this situation before when you, you've got a, got a hill or something, say climbing up the mount, 
and you do it with somebody who you're friendly with, and you just start talking. You talk and talk and talk, and next thing you know, you pop up at the top, and you're, oh, it hardly even seemed like a workout. Is that true? It's, a, it's an attitude of mind. But for the people of Israel, they were still living in Egypt. They still had a mindset that said, we can't, and the only way we can ever achieve something is for somebody to do it for us. That's a slave's mindset. That's a slave mentality. And so for us as people who are free or believe we're free, the only challenge and the only giant that we're facing are the giants of our mind and our imagination. And that means that there is an intersection of two roads that come into our lives. They are called opportunity and choice. An opportunity comes. An opportunity comes to learn something new. An opportunity comes to seize a moment. The opportunity comes to take advantage of some advantage that you find you've been given. And that creates a choice. And this is where fear kicks in. This is where we start to see ourselves as a cup half full, cup half empty. You know, you're, you're, you're wanting to buy a house and you see this old house and you go, man, if I got that at a good price, if we did this, if we did that, if we did this, that would be a lovely home for our family and we'd be on the right side of the ledger as far as what the value is concerned in 12 months' time. I'm sure many of you have done this or thought about doing this. But it's very easy to sit there and look at your screwdriver and your hammer and say, but I could never do that. I could never, you know, replace the kitchen. I could never paint the walls. I could never get those gardens looking like the neighbours. And you can talk yourself out of it. And so it is that the nation of Israel did the same thing. I was working at uh, Perimarimo Prison during my college years, and I remember having to go and pay a visit to a guy who was on uh, suicide watch. And this guy was quite often on suicide watch. He was in a pretty bad way. And I was, I was sitting there talking to him, and um, he, he made an, a really, really interesting comment. He said, he said uh, Chaplain, he said, the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your choices. And I thought, well, you'd know. Seriously, you'd know. Because he'd made some really bad choices, poor choices in his life. But he said, the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your choices. And that is a free will offering that God gives us. A free will offering to make free choices. That's not only biblical, but it's everything about liberty and democracy. Everything that we stand for in the West. And our, our predecessors have fought and spilt their blood to defend. This, this quality of choice that we have in this country is incredible. And yet we still fight the giants. We still battle the giants that come uh, and surround us. Uh, for many New Zealanders, the quality of a choice is whether we should buy a lotto ticket on a Friday or not. Unfortunately, that's what some people's choices end up just diminishing down to, is that uh, it's not a real, real choice, it's just a sort of a, a punt, a bit of hope. But we need to understand that choices are an incredible gift from God. And God gives his people choices, as he's given the people of Israel a choice. So, there were always going to be two results out of a choice. There's always going to be two results out of a choice. Uh, either you do it or you don't. Is that complicated? You either do it or you don't. All right? Now, we know that uh, each choice has its own uh, result as well. In economics, we call it the opportunity cost. So if you've got $10,000 in the bank and you say, I'm going to go and take the family on a holiday, you have paid the price of an opportunity to spend that money on something else, maybe a vehicle or do some work on the house or put it in your super fund. 
but there's always an opportunity cost. And for the nation of Israel, they forfeited the opportunity to go into the, the nation that was being promised to them, the promised land. And they forfeited this. And, and so the promise was there. Take the, take the good road. Trust God. Be brave. Take God at his word that he will never forsake you, that he will never leave you, that he was opening up the opportunities for you to be able to explore this new land. And for you today, it might be taking a risk on a new friendship. You know that new neighbor that's moved in? And you've just sort of said hello over the fence and you're unsure as to whether that person is um, going to be somebody safe to get to know. Well, you should get to know them. Uh, maybe it's an opportunity in your business where you've got a new partnership or a new venture. Or maybe there's an opportunity for you to, to take a promotion or to take that new job that's being offered to you. All of these opportunities have promises and yet often or sometimes, not often, but sometimes we're paralyzed. Paralyzed because we are fearful that God is going to say, I'll take you here, but I won't take you to the next step. And sharing our faith is the same thing. We never know what the result is going to be when we share our faith because uh, we are never sure what God has been doing in the life of the person whom we're sharing it with. We always feel when we're sharing our faith, and I think it's part of the enemy's plan, to think that this person is, is dead cold in the things of faith, that God hasn't been working in their life. And so it's really important for us to realize that when we're sharing our story, our faith, it's part of a continuum that God is, God is working on. Just yesterday, I was, um, I was at the warehouse, and there's a, there's a guy there on the warehouse off Cameron Road who cuts keys, and I needed some keys cut. And so I was just chatting to him, and this other guy came up, and I started chatting to him. And, uh, and he pulled up in this little car, a little soft top, and I said, oh, it's a nice little car uh, that you've got there, a soft top. You should have the roof down on a hot day like this. Just, you know, just small talk. And uh, he says, oh, my wife left me that car. And I said, oh, did your wife die? And he said, yeah, she died of cancer last year. And I said, oh. And he started to choke up. You've seen that this morning. And... Uh, and I could just tell that for him, the immediacy of his wife passing was just there. It was like it happened yesterday. And I said, oh, um, I, I, um, we, we buried our, our son-in-law a week ago. And he's like, oh, wow. And immediately there was this spark of recognition, you know. There's this opportunity there. Immediately we were no longer strangers talking about a soft-top convertible. We are people sharing the human experience. And I just felt the Lord prompting me, just ask him, um, you know, is he a man of faith? I said, have you, are you a man of faith? Have you got faith? Oh, no, 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 none of that stuff. He says, but my son is. Mm, that's interesting. We chatted around it for a while. And then you wouldn't believe it. But about six o'clock last night, I went in to get some petrol, and here the guy was again. I said, hey, I saw you at the warehouse. Yeah, what's your name? And he says, Mark. I said, my name's Craig. I said, you know, where do you live? And, Dad, and I'm like, what's, what's all that about? You know, what's all that about? You see, God's working behind the scenes and we, we need to seize those opportunities not to hold back, to, not to be fearful and just sharing your story and, you know, just helping, helping other long, others along the way on this whole, whole journey of life is so important. The difficulty that we face is that we don't see the promise that is coming until often we're right in, in the middle of it. And for the nation of Israel, 
they, they were the, oh wells. Oh well, we'll just walk around the desert. And the problem was, they didn't realize that 40 years is a long time. 40 years is a long time. 40 years of living in the desert was going to be a trudge and a drudge. So, what is it that held them back? I mean, this is pretty simple stuff at the end of the day, but it's simple and it's true for all of us. There were, there were giants in the land. That's what they said. Were there giants in the land? There weren't giants in the land. Were they stronger than them? No, they weren't stronger than them. Were they going to devour them? They weren't going to devour them. But in their mind and in their imagination, these little suspicions have become huge realities. And that's where we become paralyzed, isn't it? That's where we stay. And maybe it's something in our childhood, the expectations of parents. Okay? Maybe you've got a brother or a sister who always did better than you, and you always feel like you're just the little one, the one who gets devoured. What, are, what about um, the fear of being embarrassed? The fear of being embarrassed. That, that uh, shyness is incredible. But shyness is actually a form of pride. And we've just got to be so careful that our all shucks sort of Kiwi way it doesn't hold us back from what God has actually ha- has for us. We can't allow the all shucks, don't pick me sort of thing go on. You can't allow that to happen because God is, is, is uh, creating a space and a place for you. And we talk about today being Serving Sunday. You can't just sit back. You can't just allow other people to step up and take the responsibilities that you're called to do. Um, the other big giant that I think we suffer in the West is the desire for comfort. It's true, isn't it? We all desire a softer bed, a smoother car, more luxurious carpet, longer holidays. And then something else that's more subtle than that and uh, it comes in in the same category as comfort is the fear of our financial future. See, no one knows what it's going to cost to live in 2030, 2040, if we, if we live that long. So therefore, we are, we're told consistently that we need to work harder and harder and harder to put more away for something that uh, we can't anticipate. And so the challenge there is that we end up, we work hard to buy stuff to impress people who don't care. Does that sound reasonable? You know, if, if my neighbour buys a new car, I don't really care. He thinks I care, but I don't really care. You know, as long as it doesn't smoke, as long as it starts in the morning, doesn't go every morning to try to wake me up. I don't care. So we, we work hard to buy stuff to impress people who don't care. And so the challenge for us today, the challenge for us when we look at the people of Israel is just to realize that it took a whole generation, whole generation, 40 years, before these people stopped looking at themselves as grasshoppers. Eh? Grasshoppers. It's a great little turn of phrase, isn't it? We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. And grasshoppers, when you think about it, they just sort of hop around, don't they? Hop around, hop around, and I'm not going to do any more than that. But just this little image there of grasshoppers, they just at your feet, they get in the way, they appear, they disappear. We seem like grasshoppers to them. Friends, what God was saying to the nation of Israel is that you're not grasshoppers. You're not. 
And today, in the secular society we live in, uh, we are told repetitively that people of faith are grasshoppers. They just get in the way, they just hop around, they're of no consequence. Which is the great lie of the secular gospel. The secular gospel says that we can trust in ourselves, that as we educate ourselves, as we grow, it's more of the image of the perfect man or woman, then our society will get better. Have you noticed society getting better in the recent couple of decades? Have we seen crime rates go down, murder rates go down, child abuse go down? I haven't seen it. Have you? Nothing that I've seen. And this is the secular gospel. And they try to say, you with faith are nothing but grasshoppers. And this, my friend, is what the giants are all about. Obedience to God is taking the next step. Often we think that's all about, right, after today I'm going to go and see Luke here. I'll pack my bag, I'll grow my hair, and um, I'm off. I'm off to Sao Paulo. Can't speak Portuguese, but I'm sure I'll be helpful. All right? And you probably would. But obedience to God is taking that next step. It's that extra coffee with the neighbor. It's the extra conversation. It's the listening ear. It's the putting yourself out to help others. It's ensuring that when you go and make a decision, that you're engaging with God in that decision. That you're ensuring that this isn't just a decision you make on your own. That you're not actually just fulfilling the expectations of society and ensuring that the secular society wins and that the giants of the land continue to be giants. Each one of us have, have, a, have a response to God on a daily basis that says, somehow today, God, I'm going to glorify you. Somehow today, I'm going to honor you. Somehow, I will put you first. That's all it requires. And the lies of the enemy are saying that you have to arrive. You know what I mean by arrive? You have to, da-da-da-da, your moment, and you have arrived. That, again, is a lie. You see, because, let me put it this way, obedience is a long walk in the same direction. Yeah? It's consistently building integrity towards the things that God has called you to. If God calls you to be a musician and you can't play very well, you keep walking in the same direction. God calls you to be a missionary, you start sharing with your neighbors and the people at work. You start loving on people who are hurting and you are there for them. You begin this walk in the same direction. If you need to know more about the things of God, you, st- you take some classes. Okay. If you need to know more about prayer, you gather people around you who will pray with you. And so it goes on. It's just one step after another. And it's a little bit like interest accumulating on a bank deposit. It's that compounding interest that allows you to grow in confidence and integrity. For the nation of Israel, they were going to take 40 years and the whole generation, apart from Joshua and Caleb, died. This lack of obedience saw them not enter into the promises of God. This whole nation had to be buried in the desert by two people who walked in obedience and they got the opportunity to experience this promise of God 40 years after the promise was made. And so each one of us today, each one of us today have an opportunity to step into a walk of obedience by simply saying, yes, I will. I will commit myself to this. I will take God at his word. I will ensure that my contribution, be it small, is consistent 
that my contribution, be it small, is willing, but in that God can continue to grow who we are and how we grow together. So this morning um, really is a continuum from my perspective, and I'm really great that we, I'm really pleased that it's really great that we are working with um, Steiger today, and to hear their story, more of that tonight, is really important. I'd, I'd encourage you to come out, because uh, I could guarantee I could tell you Luke's story. Luke would have started playing a, uh, a pot in his kitchen with his mum. Yeah, that's right. Of course he did. I've got a drummer for a son too. He beat all our, drums, all our pots to death. And, and, and a passion there of music and a passion for mission. And then finding like-minded people and taking a risk, getting involved, stepping forward, wondering whether somebody would accept him, wondering whether someone would say, yeah, you're, you're part of this journey with us been growing in confidence, learning the ropes, learning the skills, learning the culture, learning the genre, learning the mission, learning how to pray, learning how to set up a gig. Then, ultimately, you know, the team goes, hey, look, we believe God wants you to go and start something fresh in South America. Wow. But it started by hitting the pot on mum's kitchen floor. A long walk of obedience in the same direction. And it's as simple as that. Not complicated, eh? You never, no one ever arrives, okay? Not in the kingdom anyway, okay? You only arrive when you come into the presence of the Lord. You arrive one step at a time, crossing the Jordan River, looking at the giants and saying, my God is bigger than all of those giants, and it is he whom I will serve. Let's pray. Let's stand. Lord, for some of us, the two-meter diving board is a huge jump. For others, we have jumped off that and we now plunge from great heights. But God, wherever we are, these challenges are indeed challenges because you put us in a place where the next step is always going to be a step of faith. Be it talking to our neighbor who we don't know, be it loving on somebody who... Uh, may respond poorly to those actions, be it speaking a word of encouragement or sharing our faith story. All of these things require us to step up, that one little step that leans into you and not our own strength. Be it serving on a team when we don't think that uh, people will value us or, or we, we feel nervous about getting involved and making commitments. All of these things, Lord, are steps of faith that are little or large, but they're all giants for many of us. Giants that can hold us paralyzed, giants that see our gifts and our talents buried in the desert. And so, Father, we, we ask today that you'd lift from our imaginations the oh wells of I can't do it, the oh wells of it's too big, the oh wells of I'm just a grasshopper, just a grasshopper. These lies hold us back. And we, we just want to agree together today, Lord, that as a community of faith, we can prosper because we get past these giants. We look them in the eye and we say, our God is bigger than you. Our God defeats you. Our God sent his son Christ to die on the cross that we might overcome sin and death. And in doing so, we are set free by the power of the Spirit to come into a, a new revelation of what it means to be a servant of God. So Father, help us today. Help us to, to acknowledge the giants, 
and to ensure that we steer them in the eye and we take them down in the name of Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.